0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different.
1: Um, I've been mentioning over the last few weeks that Ted DiBiase is going to be with us. Um, you're going to get to know him in just a few minutes, but Ted uh, is an ordained minister of the gospel. Uh, he's got an incredible testimony. He has an illustrious wrestling career, um, and I will tell you, I've, I've, I've interviewed lots of people, and there's people that I've interviewed that I was like, oh, okay. I think they're Christians, but I'm not totally positive, and I will tell you the time I've gotten to spend with Ted, and you're going to see this in a moment. He's so sincere and so genuine, uh, and I'm so grateful for the testimony he has and that he's going to share with us this evening. So why don't you welcome him with me to the stage, Ted DiBiase. It's great to see you tonight, Ted. Thank great, you so much for being great here. Great to be
0: with you, Pastor.
1: So uh, there are a lot of people that are watching this, and they have one idea of who you are, um, and the idea is that video we just
0: saw, that, that the persona. Um, but, what do you mean? <laughs> I got to get that out of my system at least once a day.
1: <laughs> I, I wasn't even going to ask you to do it, because I was like... <laughs> I bet you get asked all the time, so I wasn't even going to ask you to do it, but thank you for doing that. I appreciate it, because there's some people probably came just to hear the laugh, so I'm glad you did that, um, but I'm so excited for them to get to know the real Ted DiBiase uh, beyond the character, beyond the the heel, and uh, and so again, thank you for being here this weekend. My pleasure. Okay, so let me jump right in. Um, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the wrestling stuff, but Um, One of the things I noticed as I read your book and watched your documentary and really tried to get ready for this is that um, for someone who seems like they've had as much success as you've had, you've experienced more than your fair share of heartache as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, My, you know, my hero growing up was my stepfather, Mike DiBiase, and I even hate to say stepfather because he was the dad who raised me. My biological parents divorced when I was two, and my mother remarried when I was five, and that's when she married Mike DiBiase. DiBiase is Italian, so I was raised in a, a big Italian family and culture. Family's everything. And, uh, and so for the first part of my life, like most Italians, my father was Roman Catholic, and, you know, we uh, wrestling back then was different. It was territorial, regional. Mm-hmm. It's, not, not, it's not like it is now where it's just it's national and you would go territory to territory, but uh, home was Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, uh, and I can remember getting up uh, some days and being on the, the, what they call it, the six o'clock mass, and there wasn't anybody in that church but me and the priest, and he lived there. (laughs) (laughs) So So, all of that to say, I I had, looking back, a very serious childlike faith in God.
1: Yeah. so so you would look at, at Mike as your dad, even though you, he's Absolutely. your stepdad. Um, and wrestling was something that came pretty naturally to you eventually because, because of your dad and your, your stepdad and your mom.
0: So tell us a little about that. Well, my biological father, his name was Ted Wills, and he was a professional singer. Beautiful, deep bass voice. And Of course, I have a big voice, but I couldn't carry a tune if it had handles on it my wife gets mad at me when I sing too loud in church (laughs) and I remind her the word says make a joyful noise. That's right. So, but, uh, no, he was a, he was a professional singer. And then my mother, my mother did, and I think that's how they met. She did choreographed stage show dancing. If, you know, it's kind of like the old, uh, I don't know, uh, Ed Sullivan shows Mm -hmm. and stuff like that where they had the dance teams and things. Mm -hmm. She did that kind of dancing, too. And I don't know how she went from that. Never had that conversation with her. But then she became a lady wrestler. Yeah. So I had a mother who was a wrestler and a father who was a wrestler. So I was a kid who didn't get in trouble very much. I was about to
1: say, yeah. (laughs) I I think my mom's tough, but she was never a pro wrestler. So... (laughs) Yeah, that, that. So that was. This was something you were around growing up. And Iron Mike, your yeah. your stepfather, he was a professional wrestler. Right. So you were around this industry a lot growing up.
0: i uh, yeah, my almost my entire life. You know, and then my dad, you know, Mike, was not only a professional wrestler. He was a nineteen forty six National Amateur Wrestling Champion AAU wrestling you know out of the navy Mm -hmm. and then post navy he went to nebraska and lettered eight times four years of football foreign wrestling three years in a row conference heavyweight champion but i never heard any of those things about him from him yeah all of his friends and other people told me about my dad and Mm -hmm. so uh and he was just he was a good dad he was a great dad and I mean scripture says that you know every child needs the admonition of a father and um, and so he he set a great example for me and the one but the one thing he didn't want me to do was be a wrestler <laughs> it's a hard life
1: so when you were fifteen tragedy struck your dad uh, he was in a
0: wrestling match. tell us what happened we uh, we left Nebraska uh, my dad saw, my freshman year of high school, I, I went to an all-boy Catholic prep school called Creighton Prep. All the teachers were Jesuit priests, and they're, they're like drill instructors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, as far as academically, you know, you, you couldn't, just anybody could get in, get in that school, but great athletic program. And so, uh, my dad saw that I had some football talent, and uh, he says, gonna move to Texas, you let you finish high school in a good Texas high school program, which the Texas is notorious for great high school football. And he says, you, when you graduate from high school, go out to Arizona and retire. Well, we were there one month. We were there June, and on July the 2nd, he had a heart attack in the ring during a match and was gone. And, I mean, I was devastated. Uh, this was the hero in my life, and I was just at that place in my life where – he had, was able to have seen me play football, you know, as a freshman in high school, um, and encourage me and help me, and, and and I knew that he was becoming very proud of me, and and that meant it meant everything to me. And then, bang, he's gone. How did that loss impact? How did this loss impact you personally? How did it
1: impact your family?
0: Well, it was, it, you know, it was like here, my hero's gone, and uh, but my mother my mother fell off the deep end. She, she fell into despair and in, in alcohol. Um, and, uh, I remember my grandmother, this, that we all had to move to Arizona now cause that's where my mother's parents, my grandparents lived. And, uh, even though they were from Nebraska, um, my grandmother had that truck this truck stop. Well, my grandmother calls my biological father and says, Ted, your ex-wife is drinking herself to death and your son needs a dad and so my real dad comes back on the scene ted wills and he's a great guy and i you know I, I grew to have a relationship with him as well but i had i'd had a, a i had ai had played by the by the time that anyway long story short my mother and my real father got back together they remarried and um I just, I really felt, I kind of felt sorry for my dad because I think my mother married more out of a need of security. Yeah. And um, and, and I had a younger brother. So my younger brother, who was Mike's real son, mm-hmm. goes with our mother and Ted, my biological father, to California because he, that's where he worked. He was a... Uh, after he quit singing, he became a, a light technician. And like he would, he, he had a crew, and they would light a lot of the old, I mean, General Hospital, The newlywed game, you know, all mm-hmm. those daytime shows, and he would do the lighting for that. Well, that's only where that's the only place he could work. Yeah. So I said, I'm not going to California. I stayed in Arizona with my grandmother, uh, and, and not because I, 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 you know, had any ill feelings. It was just that. I had, I was starting to establish myself, people with, I was, I had my focus on, I remember I would go out to the cemetery where my dad's buried, you know, and I can't, I was, I was a practicing Catholic then, but I wasn't out there saying the rosary. Mm-hmm. I was talking to God, just like I'm talking to you, asking God to give me the, the talent and the skills and, and the things that I needed, you know, you know, that I might, that I, even though he's gone, make my dad proud. Yeah. And so all of those things were happening, so I didn't want to you know, interrupt that. And uh, as it turned out, I graduated from this little high school in Southern Arizona. I think I was the first kid to ever get a, uh, a scholarship to play division football in, a, you know, in a, you know, A1 school.
1: So so you got a, a, a scholarship offer from the University of Arizona. That's, that's no rinky-dink school by any stretch of yeah. the imagination. Yeah. Very successful program. But you didn't go there. You ended up going to <laughs> the, another perennial powerhouse, West Texas, <laughs> West, uh, West T- Texas yeah, A&M, West, M, right? Yeah, it's West
0: Texas A&M. Now. Yeah. It used to be West Texas State University. Yeah. And everybody was like, what? You, got, you, you I, I had signed a letter of intent to go to Arizona they have a conference letter of intent. You could sign as many of those per conference as you wanted to, but then they had a national letter of intent, mm-hmm. once you signed that, you're committed. And so, I'm watching TV one day, and wrestling comes on. I hadn't seen any wrestling for three years since my father's death. But, and this wrestling was, was, it was on out of Tucson, but it was the tape that, that I recognized was made in Amarillo, Texas. So it was the, the area of Texas that we had been living in uh, when my dad died. There was They were coming out to try to you know, open up Tucson and Phoenix. And uh, so I went to see him. And a uh, very famous wrestling family, the Funk family, Dory Funk Sr. and my dad were, were great friends. And then he had two sons, Dory Jr. and Terry Funk. And both of them were very successful, both like NWA world champions. And Terry said, Teddy, he said, you know what? He says, I'll tell you what, he says, you know, I can get you a recruiting trip to WT. He's even if you if you've already decided you're committed, you're going here, great. But just just come back and take the trip, you know, and, and come see everybody. Well that's all it took was me getting around Texas again and 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 to getting close to the business again i mean it's like those two times i went to tucson i watched i watched two wrestling shows and it was like it was just in my blood and i'll be honest with you i I probably went to west texas state more for the fact that this is a quicker way for me into wrestling
1: mm-hmm.
0: than uh you know i mean i loved football but you know i also was smart enough to know that i wasn't nfl material i remember on the field one day coach looked at me and he said son I wish all of our players had your tenacity but we're going to have to start timing you with a sundial. <laughs> I thought well <laughs> no NFL. <laughs> so
1: you mentioned you went to West Texas uh, you know you had this this idea that you would be uh, possibly wrestling at some point, just to be back around that. But um, from what I've read, it sounds like you were close to the funks before that. Oh, uh, yes. So was was part of that the draw of the family yes. and the yes. camaraderie and the yeah. care that maybe you felt like you were lacking? Was that part of
0: that? I, I think it was, even, even if it was subconsciously. I mean, uh, uh, Dory Funk Sr. and my dad were very close. My mother had been very close to to Dory Senior's wife, you know, they had been close friends. Any time, if we were like, you know, if we were coming from Nebraska, going to visit my grandparents in Arizona, we would go through Amarillo just to see the Funks, and um, and my dad and Dory Senior had what they I think it's I don't know if it's in the Guinness Book, but one of the longest wrestling matches in history, uh, three three hours and fifteen minutes. <laughs> Wow, you know what they call a Texas death match in Amarillo, <laughs> Texas. But anyway, um, but yeah, uh, my my relationship with the Funk's had a lot to do with that. So you get to West Texas, uh, you have a
1: lot of success on the football field, but before you finish school, you decide to pursue professional wrestling.
0: Well, what happened was the um, the summer. Between my sophomore and junior year, my summer job ended up being I was a, re, a referee, so I would referee wrestling matches, professional wrestling matches, and, and that's and that's how I earned my my money for the summer. Made pretty good money, not to mention the fact that when you're the third guy in the ring and you're that close to it, you, you learn a lot mm-hmm. just from being there, and uh, so I learned a lot then. So then. I, you know, I went my, my through my junior year, and as as the junior year is coming to an end, another guy that uh, another, you know, Dick Murdoch is his name, and Dick came out from he came out of a wrestling family as well, and was very good, and he was going to, he was going to what was then called Mid South Wrestling. Mid South Wrestling was a big territory; it was all of Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And he told me, he says, if you wanna get your feet wet this summer, he says, I'm sure I can get you booked with Bill Watts. And so I I decided I was gonna do that. And well, (laughs) it was good and it was bad. It was good because I I got my feet wet and and I did real well. And matter of fact, I did so well that I got a lot of people telling me, kid, you're going places. And so I, you know, stupid. I I still kick myself there. if I could go back if there's a way I could work mm-hmm. it out to do it just just to finish and say I finished but anyway I, I didn't go back my senior year I mean and I remember uh Terry Funk's wife was like a second mother to me and she was just you know more than anybody Teddy you're you know you got one year one year's not going to make any difference but you know when you're that age and 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 you you know I guess you know yeah Twenty-year-old guys aren't very smart.
1: <laughs> let's be honest. Twenty-five-year-old guys aren't very smart. Let's let's not let not narrow it down yeah. too much. So so you go on the circuit. You are you're wrestling. You start um, start having some success. But and you and I talked about this yesterday. Um, I grew up in Oklahoma, uh, mid-south wrestling, and Dr. Death Steve Williams and hacksaw Jim Duggan. And, you know all these guys yeah. that are very familiar to me. But you. Growing up, you'd watch this stuff, and you would think, man, these guys are living the life. Like, they, they are living a glamorous lifestyle, wrestling, and they're on TV. But what was it like behind the scenes with that? Um, you know, you're traveling. Tell us a little bit about the behind-the-scenes stuff.
0: Well, you know, uh, the, one, the reason my dad and my mother, you know, didn't want me to be a wrestler is it's is not the wrestling itself, um, number one, you have to you have to love that to do mm-hmm. it. But it was all the other things that came along with it. It was the travel. I mean, uh, pro wrestling until Vince McMahon went national with it, and basically all the territories went away. They they disappeared because they couldn't compete with him. Uh, but it was regional, so you would go region to region, and you'd stay someplace. Like growing up, let me see if I can by uh, First grade i was in portland oregon second grade i was in houston texas third grade i was out in arizona fourth and fifth grade i was in omaha nebraska sixth grade i was back in amarillo seventh eighth and ninth grade i was back in omaha nebraska and then the summer between the ninth and tenth grade we went back to texas wow that's when my dad died and i finished high school in arizona so wow. all this traveling and then uh and as a wrestler, um, I remember when I graduated from high school uh, and got the scholarship to go play football, my mother and my grandmother went together and, and put made a down payment on a new car for me. So I got a new car, I was a Chevy Nova. And you know, like so, <laughs> I didn't put too many miles on that car, you know, like the, for those first three years. But I started wrestling Man, I put 100,000 miles on that car in, in a year and a half. Yeah. And just the mileage from, and, that, and I didn't drive every day. You know, like it was guys would take turns driving. So, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard life.
1: So uh, you spent a lot of years um, between territories and different opportunities. One of the opportunities took you to uh, Georgia. You t- were telling me you are in Atlanta and, uh, and I had asked Ted yesterday, I said, hey, what, where was your favorite place, you know, to live? And, and you'd said you really liked Atlanta. And mm-hmm. then after you told me the story, I realized why you might like it a little more. But tell us about, tell us about your experience in Atlanta and, um, and
0: meeting your wife there. Okay. Well, let me back up a little bit. The other thing that we hadn't talked about is that the other thing that I did while I was in Texas is I got married the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and again, uh, and I got married in a Catholic church. And my first wife, I, I, knew, I knew her and her sister because when we were living in Amarillo back when I was in the sixth and seventh grade, she and her sister and mother lived in the same apartment complex. And when we moved back the, that summer that my father died, they were still there. So I, I had a chance to see them again and so you know i start college you know and and i I ran into her she was working at, at one of the stores in the mall and we went out on a date and you know anyway make another long story short i got married i was 20 years old uh you know i didn't i didn't know beans uh it's a marriage that should have never happened and uh it lasted six years and uh especially with the wrestling it was it was very, very very hard to be a wrestler's wife because we're gone so much and uh yeah. so during that 6 years that you were married to your first wife
1: how, how many and I'm just asking you to guess but how how many days out of a year would you think
0: you'd be home oh <laughs> uh 20 or 30 maybe yeah i mean we wrestled every day yeah e- every day and uh so, you know, wasn't, you know, again, wasn't conducive to successful marriages. Yeah. And that's, the, that's, the, that was the biggest reason. But back to, so I'm, now I'm in Atlanta and I went to Atlanta the first time because Terry Funk called me and he said, Ted, he said, uh, they got ha- they have three names in the, in the pot for possible the next NWA world champion and here names in the pot, you and Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. I've heard of those guys. And so he said, uh, he says, go to Atlanta and get on that TV, because Atlanta at the time they called it the Superstation, Ted Turner's uh, cable network was the only one, only na- nationally televised cable network at the time. And so he said that would be my way of getting national exposure. And so I went to Georgia and sitting at the pool one day and see this pretty girl and you know, just admired her from a distance. And I went and showered and got dressed and I was going to work somewhere. And I just <laughs> I went back to the pool, you know, I'm maybe there's an outside chance and uh, I could meet her. And <laughs> this guy who I guess apparently the way she tells the story was like her date. They weren't dating, but it was like a some, somebody that they worked with lived in the apartment complex and that's why well, we were at the pool anyway. So I'm walking around the pool like I'm looking for something and this guy says, Ted, this girl over here would like to get your autograph. Well, he was the wrestling fan. Melanie was oblivious. She had on a white visor and she was in the pool with, and they were like on each other's shoulders and doing that horsing around and fighting and everything. And she, she goes, what? She goes, Ella, uh, autograph? Autograph? She's, I never have, I've never had an autograph. She said, here, sign my visor. And so I try to sign the visor and the visor is wet. And I said, now, if you'll just follow me into the office, I'm sure there's some stationery in there. Uh, (laughs) Trying to get her away from her date, I see. (laughs) Sly. so we we go in the office and um, I sign this autograph. I said, what's your name? She said, Melanie, but everybody calls me Mel. And so I said, Tamel, the best looking girl at the pool for sure. And I said, I don't even know you. And I'm going to sign this love. And I, and I had I've ne- I never had done that before. And I signed it big letters. Love Ted DiBiase, 42681. That's the day we met. Hmm. And so I said, this is going to cost you. And all of the other things. She said, what number are you? And I said, what number am I? She said, well, you play for the Falcons, right? She didn't even know what she was getting the <laughs> autograph for. Right? And I said, no. She said, so why am I getting your autograph? I said, I'm a professional wrestler. And she goes, you mean like that fake stuff on TV? <laughs> I said, you know, you're probably the only person that can ever say that to me and get away with it. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm one of those guys. And so I said, it's going to cost you. I just, need, I just want your phone number. And she says, "Well, I'm not in the habit of giving total strangers my phone number." And I said, "Okay, I get that." I said, "But look, it's not like you don't know where I or I live. I mean, you know." She said, "Tell you what, I'll give you the phone number. You call me. We'll meet one day back here, by poolside." She told me later, "You know, I, there's no way I was going to go on a, on a first time date with this great big, this great big guy who I, I didn't know." So we we met poolside and. uh Started chatting, and that was the beginning of forever. So that was that was 1981. 1981. Um, how long was it before you guys ended up getting married then? It wasn't long. <laughs> <laughs> we met on April the 26th, and uh, I moved again from Atlanta back to what was called Mid-South that summer, like at the end of the summer. And she helped me move to Baton Rouge. And I sent her back, put her on her plane. She was gonna to go to her second year of college and I don't know how we're gonna work this out. And my chivalry lasted about two weeks and I called her and I said, I want you here. She said, I'm coming. And uh, disappointed her parents, uh, packed up and left and, and, and moved in with me. So she was, she was religious, but she was not really devout. Is that accurate? at that time. Yeah. You know, her, her, best, her best friend was the daughter of a Baptist preacher and that's yeah. how she initially got saved. And uh, so we got married, well I know, she started going to a Bible study. The gym where I worked out, the guy that owned the gym uh, did a Bible study at his, his house on, on Tuesday nights. Well Tuesday night was the night I wrestled in Baton Rouge. So I'd, I'd go wrestle and she'd go to the Bible study so the guy that owned the gym, his name was Foxy. They called him Foxy. And so he calls me in his office one day, and he says, Ted, are you in love with Melanie? I said, absolutely, there's no way I would ask her to you know, leave home and, and disappoint her parents. And he says, well, why aren't you married? And I gave him all the reasons. And he listened very carefully. And he says, well, you know, it sounds like you've learned some things from your past, and that's a good thing. But here's the bottom line. You're living in sin, bam. Right, right in the nose. I go, uh, yep, I am. And so he says, the way I see it, either somebody moves out until you decide what you're going to do or you get married. In either case, both individually and as a couple, repent. And I said, Fox, you're absolutely right. So I went back to the apartment and shared with Melanie uh, what Fox and I had talked about and uh, and she said Ted DiBiase do you think for a moment that I would have left my you know quit school and, and left my parents and disappointed them if I weren't absolutely totally in love with you and I said okay so New Year's Eve 1981 last day of the year we got married short I mean my 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 brothers, my you know, you know my mom at the time, even my grandmother, God bless her, you know they were all don't do it, don't you're on the rebound, mm-hmm. don't do it, you know you just you know you haven't been out of your other marriage that long, and you know but I just, when it's when it's the real deal, it's the real deal, yeah, and so we got married, and uh, then you know Melanie started to go to a non-denominational church there. And I would go with her when I could, which was very rare, because we now again we wrestled every day, and sometimes we did. We would we would do four shows on the. We'd do two two shows on Saturday and two on Sunday. We'd do a matinee at one o'clock somewhere and go do a show that night in another town, and then a matinee on Sunday, and, and, and it was just insane the way we traveled.
1: I don't see what the big deal is. We do two on Saturday and two on Sunday, so. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's so, good.
1: so you guys get married. Let me fast forward. Um, you have an opportunity uh, with the WWF at that time, and Vince McMahon. Uh, what year was that that you went back to the WWF, or that Vince said, "Hey, I've got something
0: for you"? Well, that happened in 1987. Um, uh, I had we we moved from uh, we we moved from. We moved from Baton Rouge, from Mid-South, back to Georgia. Uh, Melanie and I did. And I wrestled there again. And then I came back to Mid-South in 84. Mm-hmm. And I was like the top guy, one of the top guys. And so 84, 85, 86, I, I had a very good deal in Japan as well. And uh, But it was 87. 87 when I picked a paper if I, you know, hotel room. I picked the paper up and it says, uh, World Wrestling Federation sets indoor attendance world record, 93,000 people. And I said, if, if I'm gonna stay relative in wrestling, then I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go work for that guy. And so um, I was just talking to this buddy of mine named Bruce Pritchard who um, worked for a guy named Paul Bosch in Houston, he ran Houston. And he's, I was going to Japan and I said, where are you going? He says, I'm fixing to uh, fly to New York and see about a job. I said, well, throw my name out and let me know if they uh, take, take the bait because I've been up there before. And so I, get a, I come back into the hotel in Tokyo one night after we did a show and message, call Bruce Pritchard ASAP. So I call Bruce and Bruce says, well, two things have happened, Ted. Number one, when you come back to Mid-South, Bill Watts won't be your boss anymore. I said, what? He said he sold it to uh, 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 the, the, the Charlotte promotion. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Crockett was the guy's name. And so Jim Crockett now owns Mid-South Wrestling. Well, Bill saw what was coming, he, he was smart, he, he made his money and got out of it. He says, and here's number two. Number two, Vince McMahon is extremely interested in you so whatever you do don't you dare sign anything with jim crockett until you've had a time a chance to talk to vince and so that call came and uh, Vince said i've I've got an idea ted he says it's never been done before so many things in wrestling have been done and redone and he says i think you're the guy for it and so i fly up there the first time and sit down and he shares that with me and what they've been doing and and how the whole organization is growing and what have you. And, and of course, you know, you don't want to be too anxious. Yeah. And so I said, well, I, I, I think I'm your guy, but I got to go home and talk to my wife about this. And he said, sure. And he said, I'll call you back. And so I uh, went and I talked to Terry Funk, the Funks, mm-hmm. th- those were like my mentors. And Terry said it. He said, if Vince McMahon has something that's an original idea of his, and he thinks you're the guy, pack your bag and don't look back.
1: Well, and at this point he hadn't told you
0: what the idea was, is that right? No, he hadn't told me yet. So I call him back and I said, Vince, I think I'm your guy. He says, okay, I said, tell me what it is. He said, no, I ain't gonna tell you on the phone. So he flies my wife and I both back to New York, first class, limousine to the office, My wife waits out in the, in the lobby while we have that conversation and he just lays it out there for me. He said, you know, Ted, the one thing that everybody hates is someone by virtue of their wealth thinks they're better than everybody. They bully people with their wealth and everybody hates a bully. And I, you know, and I started laughing. I said, I can't stand guys like that myself. (laughs) He said, that's the essence of this, character, character though. You're, You're a very good technical wrestler and you show people all that, but he says you're a great heel. And and in wrestling terminology, the best kind of heel to be is is that kind of heel, the bully. Because bullies are at heart, they're they're cowards. They don't pick on anybody their own size. And then when somebody actually stands up to them, they, they cower. Mm-hmm. You never get tired of seeing that guy get his butt whipped. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the essence of the million dollar man. But when but Vince pulled out that, you talk about, I mean, that day he had this guy, this guy walked in and counted out $2,000 in brand new $100 bills. And he said, that's your flash cash. He says, every time you, if you pay it for a, 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 a cup of coffee, pull them hundreds out and let everybody see it. You know i said hope i don't get mugged <laughs> um but and then he said you're gonna have limousine service everywhere you go airport to hotel hotel to coliseum back to hotel back to airport everywhere the people see you they will see the appearance of wealth and he said you're going to be making better money than you've made you know ever, than you ever have in wrestling and he said, now, we don't pay for hotels, the limousines covered. for uh, And, and I, I was flying first class. Nobody else. The only other two people that got that kind of treatment were Hulk Hogan, who was the biggest star, and Andre the Giant. Well, Andre the Giant, he, he, there ain't no way he's sitting coach anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm just like going, pinch me, is this real? So it's like everything the world could Throw at me. You know, for a minute, imagine that Vince McMahon is the devil. I'm going to give you all of this. And he he said, and he did, he said, and he said, now that limousine's waiting for you and your wife. He says, you know, uh, got you at a real nice hotel. He says, you know, pick a place wherever you want to eat tonight. It's on me and go start being the million dollar man. And that's what I did. And, uh, you know, the travel was excruciating. three. It was like three weeks out of every month, 21 days, 21 cities. I would wake out sometimes and lay there and, and roll over and look at the nameplate on the phone to remember what city I was in hmm. because we were just go, 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 go. But along with all that, it comes all the other tempt- temptations of life, uh, which I ultimately succumb to. And, um, uh, in March of 1992, uh, WrestleMania took place in Indianapolis, Indiana. And after the show, went out in my tailor-made suit, uh, you know, in the limousine, you know, hitting all the hot spots in Indy because I'm the million-dollar man and I'm cool. Got on a plane the next morning and flew to Chicago checked into the hotel, and then went to a pay phone because I had to hurry to get to this other place we were wrestling, to check in with my wife. And on the other end of the phone that day was a very angry woman who had found out that I, was, that I had been unfaithful. And I said, I don't want to talk about this on the phone. I'll be on the next plane home. She said, no, you won't. She don't live here anymore. Click. First words out of my mouth, oh, God, help me. Talk about hypocrisy. Oh, God, help me. You know, after I had been so blessed in so many ways and trampled the blessing of God, um, showing up in, in, in church with my wife what, wait, once a month, reality is there was no real relationship but in that moment in that moment i mean and i i write this 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 script matthew 16 26 i put it at the bottom of every picture and it's a great it's on a it's right under a great big dollar sign jesus said for what is it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul Mm -hmm. what will he give in exchange for his soul And it's so true, because in that moment, I realized that with all the fame that I had acquired and all of that, in that moment, I realized how empty I was. Because what I didn't have was strength of character and integrity. And uh, I realized that I had crushed the one person that I absolutely adored. You know, cause it was, you know, it, there was, it wasn't that I wasn't in love with my wife. I was stroking my ego. It was all an ego trip. And, uh, I met a guy in that same gym down in Baton Rouge named uh, Hal Santos. He came up and introduced himself to me back in 81. And he was a youth minister at a, a church near there. And, uh, He said, uh, I know who you are, Ted, I've seen you on TV, just got one question for you, do you know Jesus? Let's sit down and talk about that, Hal. That started a relationship, and this guy, Al Santos, he just stayed in touch with me. Didn't call me all the time, didn't, every now and then I'd get a call from Hal. How you doing, Ted, how you doing? In my darkest hour, I didn't call my pastor at home, nothing wrong with my pastor at home. But what i didn't have with my pastor at home was that relationship Mm -hmm. the relationship makes all the difference and i said Al, i've ruined my life i'm probably going to be divorced and i deserve it and so uh i said melanie won't let me come home and i have to get on a plane tomorrow and fly to europe all the way to england the last thing i wanted to do so I went all the way to England and two days into England I get a call from Hal, Get back here now. And he says, I'm gonna I'm gonna arrange for Melanie to come and he, But this time he's in Saint Louis now. Is that right? Huh? yeah, he's he's yeah, he, he passes a church on the Illinois side of the river. But Saint Louis is the big city. So I fly all the way from London to Saint Louis. My wife flies in Hal picked me up at the airport. and I took the longest 30 minute ride of my life mm-hmm. to face my wife. I said, Hal, what do I do? What do I say? He said, Ted, Jesus said the truth would set you free. He never said it'd be easy. He never said it'd be painless. He said, but if you will trust God, the way you did when you were that, that little kid mm-hmm. going to mass every week, when you were going out to the cemetery, and crying out to God, if you will place that childlike faith in God again, he'll forgive you hmm. and he will restore you. Now, the truth is, he says, you may lose everything. Yeah. You may lose your marriage. You might lose it all. But even if the worst happens, if you will trust Jesus through the storm, you're going to come out on the other side of the storm With the peace in your life the Bible says surpasses all understanding and you know the truth when you hear it and I knew enough about God and I had I had loved God with a childlike faith before I knew what that felt like all those times I would go out to that desert cemetery and cry out to God so when I faced my wife, it was, a, it, was a, uh, it was the worst day of my life. I was totally honest. She walked out of the room and looked back at me through tears, and she said, who are you, Ted? Where's mm-hmm. the guy I thought I married? Well, so many things happened, and I think it's all God. Hal, just so happened, was taking his youth group to this event up in Chicago, they hold every year called the Ascension Convention. It's a great big youth rally, and and like concert for kids for teenagers. So he said, "I want you and Melanie to go along." So as we're on the bus with with the whole group going up to Chicago, he hands me this little book, and it's it, and I recommend this book to all guys. It's called Maximized Manhood, and it was written by Doctor Edwin Lewis Cole, who I had the Extreme pleasure of, of getting to, to meeting and getting to know. Uh, and I'm reading this book and the characteristics, what are the characteristics, uh, characteristics of a real man? A real man is a man of integrity and character. A real man is only as good as his word, and if his word's no good, he's worthless. Man, I wanted to crawl under a rock. Mm-hmm. And it's like God spoke to my heart and he said, Ted, you were a bigger man when you cried out to me in that desert cemetery than you are right now. And right now you got everything you thought you ever wanted in life. You have fame, you have success, but what do you have that counts, that lasts? So we get to Chicago and I roll in there and of course back then I looked like the guy in the picture with the highlighted hair and a dark tan stuck out like a neon sign
1: yeah i mean this was you were wrestling the main event wrestlemania yeah, i mean, I, mean like, I had
0: just been at wrestlemania yeah you were yeah. Uh, you were very well known yeah. at this
1: point yeah so
0: and then when i walked in there i mean i heard all those kids was, there's there was the million dollar man what's he doing here the well, speaker that day is a guy named reggie dabs and reggie's a good guy and I, who i got to know later and And boy, he could bring it. But that day, it's like he's speaking and I'm going, this guy's been reading my mail. This is God just talking to me. And at at the end, when it came time for that invitation and he said it something like this, he said, if you know what you need and you know it's Jesus, then I challenge you to get out of your chair and come up here right now. So with the million dollar man, a man controlled by his pride and his ego, for so long was I willing to get out of my chair in front of a crowd i mean 1500 teenagers that was our market i mean god couldn't have put me in a place where i would be more recognizable just to see how i would respond i beat every kid in that room to the front i didn't just go forward i hit my knees put my nose in the carpet and i cried like a baby And folks, I didn't care that day and have not cared since what anybody in the world thinks. All that mattered that day was that I get right with God. And I was certain, I, I was, I was certain that I had ruined my life, that I had ruined my marriage. And, and, uh, not to mention, you know, the, the relationship with my children, I was just But I laid there and I said, God, I don't, I don't know what you want of me, but whatever it is, whatever your purpose in my life is, show me because from now on it's you, you come first. So Melanie witnessed all of that and she came to me and she said, Ted, she said, I'm not going to make you a promise I can't keep. I just don't know if I'm strong enough to do this. She said, but I serve a God of restoration, not divorce. And because I love Jesus and because I want to be obedient to this still small voice in my heart that for whatever reason is telling me to give you another chance. I'm going to try, you don't deserve it. And I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because I believe God wants me to do it. And uh, I looked at her and I said, if you'll give me this chance, I'll become the man you thought you married. I'll become a man of strong character and integrity and God willing, one day I'll regain your trust and respect. That was March 1992. This last New Year's Eve, Melanie and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary Folks, God doesn't just fix things. Yeah. Our, our relationship today is stronger and more vibrant than it's ever been. She is absolutely my best friend. And, and, and we weathered the storm. And, and I would, I'll say this too. Had my wife's faith been as weak as mine was before this happened, she'd have been gone. The, the, it was her faith more than anything else. What saved my marriage was my wife's faith in God and trust in Him. And uh, you know, I, I I never imagined that I would end up an ordained minister. I mean, people when the people found that out, people who people who remember the the, the wild crazy guy, the million dollar man on the road, they find that he's doing what? And they, they they didn't believe it. Yeah, Teddy Biasi's a minister. No way. Yes. Yeah. Ted, My, when
1: when you look back in hindsight, um, how much of that persona, that the act, yeah. how much of that did you start believing? And, and in hindsight, how much of that uh, your kind of your descent and the the, the things you were doing that. That I think you knew, man. This is wrong. Like this is wrong for me to be doing this. But how much of that w- was because you just kind of became who you were pretending to be? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I, well, I don't really. I mean, I don't think I ever had a a problem with you know becoming the character. Mm-hmm. Um. I, you know, I don't think that was. It was just. It was the excess. It yeah. was. It was like. Um, it's kind of like you are what you behold. Mm-hmm. Jesus said it. You know, I was on the road three straight weeks out of every month and 20, it's 21 days and, and, you know, and I'm, you know, uh, my accountant's a great guy and a strong Christian. He said, Ted, he said, I don't know if I would have been able to handle what you handled, Yeah, you know, in terms of, uh, and it wasn't like, you know, some people go out looking for trouble I didn't look for trouble. Trouble found me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it came knocking on my door. And uh, it was just, that was just, it came along with the lifestyle. I mean, it's kind of like rock and roll.
1: Mm-hmm. So what, a- after this interaction with your wife and um, you had this this experience with God, what changed in your career then? What changed, what happened for you that kind of made the shift or, or How did you maintain a godly lifestyle when you were still wrestling and you were still doing those things? Yeah, well,
0: again, accountability. Um, I made sure I was, well, number one, I, um, (laughs) it didn't take too long uh, because this was like, I said, this was 1992. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the end of 93, I realized I've got to separate myself from this environment or yeah. it's going to suck me back in. Yeah, You know, I was being as accountable as I could to Hal, and, and I, I tell you, my wife, I gave my wife a list the first time I was leaving home after everything went down. I gave her a list of the cities I was in, the hotels, and the phone numbers. She tore it up. She threw it in the wastebasket, and she said... I'm not going to put you on a leash like a dog," she said. "I watched you give your life to Jesus Christ. He's your watchdog, dog. And if you wanted to do this again, you could find a way. But if you do, he'll bring you down so fast your head'll spin, and the hair on the back of my head stood straight (laughs) up when she said that. Yeah. I mean, my wife's faith once again. My wife's faith. Was probably one of the greatest examples of faith I'd ever seen. For her to forgive me of the confession I made yeah. and give it another go is just unbelievable. Yeah, and and that was the thing. Uh, so, again, about, about the end of '93, I, uh, you know, I just told Vince. I said, I, you know, I've got to get out of here. And I so I I left and I, I really, really really wasn't sure what I was going to do. This is still, you know, uh, then I then he called me and said, uh, he said, would you be willing to come back and do uh, do the color commentary on one of the pay per views with me? I said sure. So I went and I did that and I I, I kind of liked it. And he said you did a pretty good job. And I said well, would you have a spot for me to? You know do it going forward he says well let me think about it and so uh he said come to the next wrestlemania and uh i did and he said i think i'm gonna give you a try as a matter of fact he didn't talk to me there i got a phone call at one o'clock in the morning in the hotel in new york wrestlemania that year had been back in madison square garden he said the limo will be to be there to pick you up in the morning. You start tomorrow. So now I'm still working for the WWF, WWE. Um, ex- explanation, World Wrestling Federation is what they called themselves, WWF. They had to change their name because World Wildlife Federation had WWF first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know I started doing the color commentary but it only required me to be in the studio one day a week and only had to only other time I had to show up were for the TVs and the TVs at that time were done once every 3 weeks uh, they would do three shows on one day and three shows the next day so it it took it took being on the road almost away and so I thought that was great and then I uh then there were a couple of guys that came along that Vince was interested in, you know, because he saw their potential. A guy named Steve Austin uh, was one of those guys. Uh, and so he put me on the road with Steve. And well, he put me on the road with him. You know, like I was his manager, but I'm, I'm, I'm going on the road with him. Well, on the road had changed a bit. On the road was now four days on, three days off you know, and then 10 days on and three days off, but, and, but you're still gone a lot. Mm -hmm. And with that, I had an opportunity to go jump ship and leave the WWF and go to world championship wrestling in Atlanta and just be a commentator like I was doing before. Um, Reality is I should have sat down and talked to Vince, but my attitude then was he's a businessman. He's going to put me where he thinks he needs me the most. He's not interested in my personal life. And, uh, so I went, I left the WWF and went to work for WCW for that reason. I didn't want to be on the road, uh, because I looked at the road as, as the danger zone and, you know, you know, flee temptation. And, uh, so about this time, you know, uh, Hal told me after this happened. He said, "You know, pastors are going to find out that you got saved, and they're 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 going to want to want you to come and share your story at their churches and see if they can get some other people like you saved." And he said, "But I want to caution you," and he said, um, "You know, you you need to be careful because you know, like." uh, you're, you're still a baby Christian. And he says, you know, sometimes babies poop their pants. I said, okay, uh, I got gotcha. you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you know, like back as far as probably, uh, well, you know, like, uh, well, I can, 90, from like about 94, 95, 96, I was, I was still doing it. I, I, my my contract with WCW ended in '99, and uh, that's when I it's year, the year the year 2000 I I stepped out. I stepped out, and I, I you know I, my source of income quit being wrestling altogether. And I said, "Okay, God, I think you've called me to this." It was exhilarating, and of course, it was also the most frightening thing I've ever done as well. Because now I'm counting on God to open the doors of opportunity. I mean, I'm, i you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I was ordained into the ministry of evangelism through my church, and I, you know, I'm, you know, denominationally I'm a Southern Baptist, but I don't wear that hat. One of my, one of the heroes of the, one of the biggest heroes of the faith that I know personally is a guy named Tommy Barnett. And I've spoken at his Dream Center in L.A. on a, at least two occasions. And one of the first places I went after I made this decision was I was invited to his. Uh, he's got a guy there under his church, uh, Larry Kerrychuk who's got a ministry called Athletes International. So I have family in Phoenix. So I went out and I, I, I met Larry and I established that relationship. But then I went to his Tommy has a pastor's conference every year. Uh, they call it pastor school. And, and I, I probably booked my whole calendar in two days of pastor school. Here I am ordained by a Southern Baptist church and I'm speaking in more Pentecostal and you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, assembly of God churches than I am anywhere. And of course that's my heart. I said, I, I don't care what you're, I don't, you know, I used to be a Catholic you know and, and you know uh, baptist methodist presbyterian bottom line is jesus his requirement is is that you believe yeah that you love and you believe so believing when you really believe something in your heart it becomes evident in your life that's why one of the scriptures i i quote all the time which when I read it and it scared me, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, just because you say to me, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will come in that day and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, we drove out demons, we did miracles. Yeah. And Jesus is gonna look at people who did miracles and go, I never knew you. Hmm. Jesus will use evil for good. That's the whole thing. You know, it's, it's, it's all about the heart. Yeah. And God knows our heart.
1: Well, Ted, and gosh, we could probably talk another two hours, I would imagine, but we don't have time to do that. But if, if, if there's somebody that's listening to this, somebody in our Blairsville location or watching online or maybe here in the room, that maybe they found themselves, maybe not in the exact same position you were after WrestleMania, eight, but maybe they found themselves bottomed out. They found themselves in a position saying, God, how did I get here? What would you tell them to do? What would your advice be for them?
0: I would tell them the same thing Al told me. And he said, Ted, the truth will set you free. Number one, you've got to be honest with whoever it is, if there is someone that you've hurt. But you've got to be honest with yourself, too. You know, the truth will set you free. If you recognize who you really are, and, and that was what was so hard for me was that with all of this that I had accomplished, you know, I, I realized I was I was somebody with no integrity. I was not the person you know, that I wanted to believe I was, and I, you got to come to grips with that, you know, and and then and then trust God, and then go to Him, you know, on your knees and, and ask Him. To forgive you and restore you, and He will. Um, that day in Chicago, when I when I answered the altar call, and all those kids came behind me, I still remember this because part of that was that. I mean, I just laid there weeping. I said, God, I don't even know what it means. I don't know what you want of me. I don't know where you want me to go. I'm sure I've lost my family, but whatever it is, I'm here. Whatever it is, show me. You know, cross my path with those who can help me, and I'm here. I'm I'm for you. And and I'm I'm this, (laughs) like, for a lot of those teenagers, I'm I'm like a TV star, right? And they're helping me up off my knees, and they're crying, and I'm crying. I was hugging them and they were hugging me. There's no difference in the eyes of God. That's God's children. Yeah, and that's, and I, that's one of the reasons I remember that. So, cause it so impacted my life. And that's what I would say to you is it's it's not hard. It's just gotta be real. Yeah. It's just gotta be sincere. We live in a, I'm sorry, the, the, the culture of our country is being destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know, all this woke stuff, and it's just, you know, and just get ready, church, because we have not seen real persecution. Yeah. But we're going to. It's coming.
1: Yeah. Well, Ted, thank you again for your time. I appreciate you being here with us this weekend. And uh, Ted's going to be available in the lobby here in Indiana when we get finished here in just a minute. Uh, He's got some pictures. He's got uh, some DVDs for sale, uh, autographs for sale, things like that. And, And I would love for you to connect with him when we get finished here. So again, yep. thank you so much. We really thank,
0: appreciate it. Thank you so much. So just one, one thing before I go, just always remember this. Everybody's got a price for the million dollar man.
1: <laughs> thank you very much, Ted. Give Ted a round of applause. Thank you, sir. Thanks, man. Well, I appreciate Ted's testimony and his story. I appreciate your time this weekend. And, uh, you know, obviously this is not a, a normal weekend for us. This isn't what we normally do, but um, I love Ted's story because you might not relate to the fame, you might not relate to the wealth, um, but I bet you can rel- relate to failure because we all have failed. In fact, Roman says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, I appreciate Ted's honesty with some of the instances of his life, and again, maybe you don't relate to the highs, but I bet you relate to some of the lows, and I want you to know there's hope. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what's been done to you, there's hope, so I just want to wanna let you know that. I'm going to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to close out the rest of our time together. God bless you guys. So tonight, I just want to give you an opportunity um, to respond, and Ted was describing a moment where there was an invitation and people came forward and um, and we don't always do that. Sometimes we will and sometimes we don't, but I just want you to know, I'm not gonna ask you to come forward tonight, but I do wanna give you an opportunity to respond, just like Ted did when he recognized I need a savior. My life is not what I want it to be. How did I get here? Maybe you're there, maybe you're in a place, maybe you haven't bottomed out, but you realize I need a savior and I wanna give you that chance. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes all this place. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I just pray you would minister in these next few moments. I pray that you would open up our hearts to your word, open up our hearts to your goodness and your grace. I pray that you would draw us to you, Lord. I pray that that if there are those here that don't know you, let tonight be the night that they recognize their need for a savior. And I pray that it wouldn't take a cataclysmic event. It wouldn't take uh, their marriage being wrecked. It wouldn't take an issue like that. But God, I pray tonight you would open up our eyes to help us see we need you. And so God, I just pray you'd minister in these next few moments together. Now with nobody looking around with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you would say, well, you know what? I recognize tonight that I'm not really walking with God. I'm not in relationship with Jesus, but I want to be. And I need, I need the Holy Spirit's help. I can't do that on my own. I, I need a savior. I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. And if you want to be included in that prayer, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. I recognize I need I need Jesus. Yeah, thank you, sir. Who else would say that's me? Yeah, thank you on my left. I see you over there. Yeah, up in the balcony. Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, include me in that prayer? All right. The book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I'd love to pray this prayer with you. I'm going to say it, but I want you to repeat it after me. And I want you to pray this from your heart, from your soul. Don't just repeat it mindlessly, but pray this from your heart to the ears of the Lord. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me at my very worst. From this moment forward, I commit to serve you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin. From now on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause? Thank you, Jesus. It's incredible. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to know you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you responded, maybe you didn't respond, but you should have, and you prayed that prayer with us, I would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So the simplest thing for you to do would be to text. Not, uh, summit PA to 94,000, summit PA to 94,000. And when you do that, we'll respond back to you. We're gonna help you take the next step, give you some direction on what's next for you. Um, you can also fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. Take it to the info center when we finish here in a minute. They're gonna give you a Bible and help you get started in the right direction. Um, but i would love for those of you that responded tonight i would love for you to get registered for water baptisms next week because all water baptism is it's just an outward sign of what god's doing in our heart the world can't see your heart the world sees uh what we show them and this is just a way to show the world hey i love jesus he's got my heart and so i would love for you to be a part of that next weekend so get registered for that Um, here's what's gonna happen right now um I'm going to pray a final prayer of blessing over you. And I'm going to invite some of our prayer team and some of our staff to be available here at the front of this room for prayer. If you need prayer of any kind at all, we'd be honored and delighted to pray with you. And, uh, and we'll be dismissed here in just a moment. So let me pray a prayer of blessing over you while our team comes, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thanks for what you've done in this place. Thank you that we can find new life in you. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, God, I thank you that we can find hope and we can find um renewal in you and through your son. So God, I pray as we leave here, God, we would leave here with hopeful hearts, knowing that you are in control. No matter how far we feel like we've run from you, God, I thank you that you always chase after us. So Lord, I pray you remind us of your goodness, remind us of your grace, and I pray that we would reflect that to the world we come into contact with. So God, be glorified through us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So some of our prayer teams here and there available. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Feel free to stop by and visit with Ted before you go. Uh, I'd love to see you next week for water baptism, guys. I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great weekend.